Well, I do want to invite you this morning to take your Bibles and turn to the New Testament, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 12. Matthew, uh, chapter 12. And we're going to be in verses 38 through 41. As a reminder, um, when you leave worship today and you think about a love gift for disaster relief, this is Carlisle Baptist Church in Panama City, Florida. This was Carlisle just a couple of weeks ago, and this is Carlisle Baptist Church today. And so those of us who have been blessed and have an opportunity to be a blessing uh, to others, and I'm thankful that we have the opportunity um, to do that today. During the Iraq War, Americans who followed the war really got a crash course in Middle Eastern geography and in history. Uh, Baghdad is the capital and the largest city in Iraq. Another large city in Iraq of about 2 million people is the city of Mosul. Uh, mostly Muslim and an uh, interesting connection to biblical history. The city of Mosul encompasses the ruins of Nineveh, which is right on the Tigris River. And more than 2,500 years ago, Nineveh was the world's largest city. The city of Nineveh was the center of the world's superpower at the time. It was the center of the Assyrian Empire. And then in 612 BC, Nineveh fell. It was then that it was ransacked and depopulated. The Babylonian Empire rose to replace Assyria, later as the great power in the Middle East. But Nineveh was always on the heart of God. Nineveh was an idolatrous city. And the Gentiles who lived in Nineveh were very cruel. They were very barbaric in their treatment of others. But God's response in the midst of their evil, God's response in the midst of their idolatry, God's response... In the midst of their sin was to send a messenger of truth. Jonah is a reluctant prophet. Jonah lived about a century before Nineveh's fall. And Jonah was the agent that God used to bring about an incredible revival in the city. When we think of Jonah, we simply remember the adventure of a man who was in the belly of a fish. But Jonah's time in the belly of the fish is a part of the story that we just read. It's a part of Jesus' story. When Jesus said the story of Jonah was a sign of his resurrection. So in Matthew chapter 12, when we come to chapter 12... The tension between Jesus and the Jewish religious leaders has come to a climax. The Pharisees were angry, primarily because Jesus would not follow their rules. Primarily because Jesus would not follow many of the customs and rules that they added to the law. And so in chapter 12, when Jesus healed a man with a withered hand on the Sabbath, the Pharisees were enraged, and they began a plot to kill him. When the crowds, believing Jesus 
was the promised Messiah. The religious leaders began saying that Jesus was healing and Jesus was casting out demons by the power of Satan. So they were looking at these miracles of Jesus and saying it wasn't God that was doing that. In fact, it was demonic. What they were doing was blaspheming against the Holy Spirit. And as a result, they had sealed their own doom. Their claim that Jesus was evil. Their claim was that Jesus was from Satan. And Jesus warned them in Matthew 12 that they would all stand before God and give an account for everything they did. That they would stand before God and give an account for their own words. What Did they do in response to that? Some of the scribes and Pharisees answered Jesus saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. Now some of our younger folks may not remember these days, but others of you will. You will remember the days before GPS or those maps on your phone. When you were traveling and you were going on vacation, you would pull out a big book, book, right? And it was a map of all of the states. And then when you arrived in the state or the city where you were going, then you began looking for signs or addresses, right? So you're driving down the road, you're driving down the interstate, and you're looking for these big green signs, right? Your kids are in the back seat, and they're screaming, feed us, feed us, feed us, right? And so what are you doing? Man, you're looking for Chick-fil-A, right? Well, back in the day, you were looking for the golden arches. You were looking for a little symbol on a sign to tell you where to go. We're used to following signs. But are we used to following signs in our spiritual lives? Should I move? Should I change jobs? Should I go on this mission trip? Should I marry this person? Should I retire? For whom should I vote? And so forth. Is it good or bad to seek a sign? I would say that depends upon your motivation. Do you remember John the Baptist? John the Baptist is in prison. He is about to be beheaded, and so he sends his disciples to Jesus, asking, are you the Messiah, or should we look for another? And Jesus' response was to tell John to take a look at the miracles. Now, for John, that was enough, but for many people, It is certainly not. How much do you need to say to win someone over, right? How much does it take to prove a point? How much does it take for Jesus to satisfy his critics and prove that he is the promised Messiah? Here are a group of individuals, scribes and Pharisees, that had seen sign after sign. Miracle after miracle. And yet, they demanded more. 
They had already seen everything they needed to know in order to believe that Jesus is Lord, and yet they were still not satisfied. Even after Jesus performing a miracle that moment, just right before their eyes, instead of seeing the miracle, they claimed it was satanic. And dear ones, People who demand proof from God in exchange for belief in Him will not surrender to His Lordship even after they receive the proof. Many people do not grasp faith. Many people will never be satisfied and ultimately some will even call good evil. They wanted a sign from Jesus. They wanted a miracle from Jesus. Well, what other miracle could they possibly want? Jesus has healed every manner of disease and sickness. He has shown the world His power over nature by just speaking a word and the winds and the seas and the waves go calm. What more could they want? So Jesus said to them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. So Jesus takes them back to the Old Testament. Jesus takes them back to that Old Testament minor prophet Jonah. Nineveh, was the home of the enemy for Jonah. You can imagine Jonah's shock as a prophet in Israel when God said to him, Jonah, I want you to go to the city of Nineveh and I want you to preach to them. And Jonah despised the mission that God had given him. Now before we judge Jonah too harshly, One thing we need to do is just think about our own hearts. For example, Afghanistan has a population of 28.5 million and is an Islamic republic. So to stand on a street corner and preach the gospel is to do so at the cost of your life. Iran has a population of 74.2 million and is also an Islamic Republic. North Korea has 20 million atheists and their persecution of evil has no rivals today. So how would you feel if God suddenly told you to leave home and go preach to one of these three countries. God called Jonah to go to Nineveh and preach. God was sending him off to preach the gospel to Gentiles, and he did not want to go. He got on a ship to go somewhere else, and you know the story. In the midst of going somewhere else, they encountered a terrible storm. The sailors on the ship 
trying to sacrifice to their gods, trying to figure out what in the world was wrong. And Jonah comes up from the ship and Jonah says, Men, I'm afraid I am the problem. My God is angry with me because I have disobeyed Him and you just need to throw me overboard. Well, they didn't flinch. Not even for a second. Right? The story of Jonah says they grabbed him and they chunked him. Right, right over the side, immediately. And the storm ceased for them, but the storm did not cease for Jonah. Now, what I want to do today is to solve a theological dilemma that has battled, has baffled theologians and Bible scholars for hundreds and hundreds of years. There is always debate on exactly what kind of fish swallowed Jonah. And I'm prepared to settle that debate today. But God has just given me great insight into this fish. And, and let me tell you what it was. All right, we're, we're going to solve this today. Are you ready? It was a very large fish. So Jonah is swallowed by a very large fish. And a few days later, he was spewed out, right, onto the shore. Now, if you were three days and three nights in the belly of a very large fish, and all of a sudden you were chunked out on the shore, I believe you would probably at that point have a greater desire for obedience than any other time in your life. And that is true for Jonah. Jonah heads obediently to Nineveh to preach. So what is Jesus doing here in Matthew 12? Jesus is going back to that account of Jonah. And he says, it will be the sign of Jonah that will be given to this generation as proof that I am the promised Messiah. So somewhere in the back of the minds of many people, there's this constant doubt about the historical accuracy of Jonah. Right? For example, Martin Luther used to say this about the book of Jonah. He said, and I quote, If it were not in the Bible, I should take the story for a lie. He said, by comparison, the passage through the Red Sea was nothing. So there are many scholars, maybe even some pastors today, standing in a pulpit somewhere preaching about Jonah and saying that the story of Jonah is an extended parable. Or maybe it's an allegory. In other words, they would say, is it meaningful? Yes. Is it factual? No. And that's the way some people view the story of Jonah. I think for me, I mean, what are you going to do if that's your conviction? What are you going to do with Jesus who very clearly accepts Jonah as history? Jesus does not present Jonah as myth, parable, or play. Jesus presents the story of Jonah as an historical occurrence. Jesus considered the story of Jonah as true and Jesus considered it factual. So when this influential Jewish 
leaders are asking for a sign as an indicator of Jesus' divinity, Jesus says, you think about Jonah, that's the only proof you're going to get. And so if you cannot accept Jonah in the belly of a fish for three days, then dear ones, it's highly likely that you cannot believe Jesus was raised from the dead. And so Jesus is saying that his resurrection is, in fact, a greater miracle than the sign of Jonah. So here's our question for today. Why does Jesus say the sign of Jonah is all they were going to get? Church, Jonah, the story of Jonah, is not primarily a story about a man gulped down by a big fish. The story of Jonah is there to reveal to us two things. God's heart and our heart. You see, to believers today... The sign of Jonah is a resurrection sign. Jesus says this sign is a foreshadowing of my resurrection. It's the sign that I am who I claim to be. It's the great truth that Jesus is the Messiah. Right In Romans 1.4 it says Jesus Christ was declared to be the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead. So for us, the resurrection is not incidental to Christians. The resurrection is central to Christians. In fact, Paul, speaking to the church at Corinth, said, If Christ is not raised from the dead, our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. So do not believe people who tell you that the resurrection isn't central to Christianity. It is absolutely central. Paul says, I want you to understand that if I didn't believe in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, I wouldn't even be a Christian. I would eat and drink for tomorrow I die. That's it. No, the resurrection is central to Christianity. So to believers, the sign of Jonah is a resurrection sign. It is the same power that raised Jesus from the dead will also raise every single Christ follower from the dead. And that is the promise of the Word of God. So it is a resurrection sign. But to unbelievers, it's a rejection sign. I mean, take a look at what Jesus said. Jesus said in verse 41, The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Do you know what Jesus is saying here? Jesus is saying that our judgment is going to be in uh, according to the measure of our light. Our judgment is going to be according to the measure of the light of truth that we have. Jesus knows that the scribes and Pharisees are going to reject him even after he is resurrected from the dead. And you know what Jesus is doing with them? He's building a case against them. 
He is saying the people of old believed in God with far less light than you have. And now you're going to reject God even though you will see the resurrection with your own eyes. You're still going to reject it. And so Jesus says, even if these pagan, idolatrous, cruel, barbaric Gentiles of Nineveh will repent when Jonah goes to preach the gospel to them, and yet you reject the very Son of God who has come with power and grace, Jesus is saying even those pagans are going to stand up at the last day and condemn you. For the scribes, for the Pharisees, and for you today, you have been given more signs than previous generations have ever received. Today, with your ears, with your heart, And with your mind, you have heard the teaching ministry of Jesus with your own ears. And if you will not repent and believe, today, the same judgment that has fallen upon the scribes and Pharisees will certainly fall upon you. Let that sit on your heart for a minute. That great theologian Ben Parker told Peter Parker, with great power comes great responsibility. And the Son of God is saying to you today, with great proof comes great judgment Jonah's message was a message of appointed judgment and Jesus did not give his audience an actual calendar day but a day of judgment is coming nonetheless The Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, it is appointed unto man once to die, and after that, the judgment. That means, beloved, that you have a time of judgment set. It is appointed by God. And it may be today. I've been to the site of enough accidents and tragedies over the years to know in one split second life for you can be over as you know it. And eternal life begins. Let me ask you a question. Did you ever think about that? Do you ever stop and think Not just about the life that is before your eyes, but the life that is yet to come. Jesus said in Mark 8, what does it profit a person if they gain the whole world 
and lose their own soul? What would a man give in exchange for his soul? I mean, if there is an afterlife, and by the way, recent studies suggest that 97% of America believe in some kind of afterlife. Many do not believe in hell, but they do believe in some kind of afterlife awaits them. Well, what do you think awaits you? Not you corporately, you individually. Right? What do you think awaits you? And you. And you. And you. And you guys in the upper deck. And if there is an afterlife, is there anything you could gain here that would make you trade your soul for it? My wife and I pulled into a place to get gas on Monday. Uh, we had gone um, to, um, for an appointment and we were driving back and we stopped and uh, we pulled into this gas station and I was filling the car up with gas and uh, Julie had gone inside and she was coming back out and, and uh, she said, you got to go in and see that site. And so sure enough, I did. I walked in and here in the front of this place is this large table and it is completely surrounded by men and women, as some of them, their children, glancing and looking on, and they're all filling out their numbers for the lottery. A few days ago, someone from South Carolina won $1.6 billion in the lottery, $878 million after taxes. Would you trade your soul for that? Would we go after and grasp every single thing that this world has to offer and never think about the life that is yet to come? I mean, I beg you. You are going to stand before Almighty God and give an account for your life. Would you forfeit something that is eternal in order to have something that you can never keep? Just quickly, I want to give you two bottom lines this morning. Number one. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And everything minus Jesus is nothing. All right, so Bob, where's Bob? Bob, why don't you and the praise team go ahead and make your way to the platform. What did Jesus say while they're coming this morning, church? What did Jesus say to the scribes and the Pharisees? Jesus said to them, something greater than Jonah is here. Right? Jonah had to be delivered from death. But you and I know Jesus has delivered everyone from death who believes in Him. Why? Because He is the true and greater. 
God created us to function in a relationship with Him. And anything less than that is unnatural. I read this week where one said, Imagine a fish that rebels against the ocean of water and says, I'm sick of you, and then flops out on the land. Can he survive? No. There may be some of you here today who would say, you know, Pastor, I'm, I'm too far gone, I'm too messed up, I've made too many mistakes, I've had too many issues in my life. Listen to me today. If God loved a barbaric, cruel, idolatrous city called Nineveh, how much love do you think God has for you? Bottom line number two. God's ability to clean me up is far greater than my ability to mess up. You and I are great sinners. I mean, let's not beat around the bush. You and I are great sinners. And something greater than Jonah is here. We are great sinners, but Jesus is a great Savior. Our sin reaches far, but His grace reaches farther. And the proof of God's love and grace is the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I hope that you can see that with your mind. And I hope that you can experience it with your heart. 